Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, welcome back to Out of Line. Hi, Candace. Hi, Annie. We have a special guest tonight recording with us, Iris Chen of Untigering, the book and the social media accounts. Um, Iris, can you give our guests and listeners an uh, um, introduction? Sure. Yeah, so like you mentioned, I founded um, Untigering back in 2017 when I started like a personal blog just chronicling my own shift away from like really coercive authoritarian tiger parenting to practice peaceful parenting. And that was also a time when I discovered unschooling, self-directed education, and was figuring out how to shift from being that tiger parent to learning to respect children and really honor their autonomy in their learning, um, especially for my two boys. And so, yeah, it's been a whole journey. My boys are now 12 and 14, and we continue to practice self-directed education. So, yeah. How long have you been engaged in self-directed education? Probably, yeah, since 2017. So that was back when I was still living in China. And we moved um, back to the States when I, uh, in 2019 and have continued that practice while we're here. here. So it's gone through its different seasons. Now my children uh, do part-time um, self-directed learning center. So that's also a, a change that happened last year. Um, but we're finding different ways to, again, like listen to their needs, figure out like the different seasons in life for them and, and what it is they want. Yes. Well, I have to say Iris is a coach of mine in unschooling and the practice of unschooling. And I just find it so valuable uh, to have a coach like Iris who is knowledgeable and recognizes that it's a practice and um, you're very realistic about it. You're very approachable about it. I think um, I was drawn to you initially after seeing you in the Parenting Decolonized um, conference a few years ago, online conference, and just how um, accessible you made yourself as far as the term unschooling and what that means to people and how you can decenter school, even if you need school in your life. And so I think a lot of our listeners are people who either still have school in their life or have just recently left it. Um, so if you need a coach, look at Iris, look at her page, look at Untigering. She's got tons of wonderful resources. And um, just, I think, knowing that there's not really a wrong way to do it and that it's finding your own family's culture and rhythm within it has been really valuable lesson I've learned from you. Thanks, Iris. Yeah. So glad you're part of our community. Yeah. Um, So I thought tonight we would talk about the terms adultism and childism because they come up a lot. And um, Admittedly, they were new to me when I entered the unschooling world. I was like, what is childism? <laughs> is this real? Um, but it's kind of one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it starts just, I don't know, being like overwhelmingly everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have had a lot of conversations ourselves with how it presents within us and then also in other people. And so just kind of 
pulling out what those terms mean to us and what it looks like in how it plays out in real life. I've been wondering, um, actually, the, is there a difference between adultism and childism, or is it more the same idea with different words attached? I mean, I think it can be the same idea, whereas adultism is like based on the assumption that adults are uh, wiser, you know, better, inherently better than children, whereas childism maybe focuses more on ways that children are mistreated or not given the, you know, the respect and dignity that they deserve. Um, the, the reason why I tend to lean towards adultism is because childism can also be positive, meaning um, like, like feminism or different words where it's just like if you have a, a childist view, then um, you might center the perspectives of a child. So that's for me why I like to use adultism. I feel feel like it's more clear, but mm -hmm. I feel sense. like they're pretty much talking about the same things oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny because you and I, Candace, have looked these terms up like multiple times and they still feel a little bit tricky and we get stuck on them. Um, I know like I looked up a definition in preparation for tonight and um this, I like this where it says childism is the radical notion that kids need to be respected as human beings. And I'm guessing radical there is used tongue in cheek. Um, so it states that despite differences in size, experience and power, adults and children are inherently of equal worth. And then the opposite force is adultism, a systemic condition that promotes stereotyping and disempowering of the young. Um, an adult is positioned adults as superior to children, regardless of merit. And that was by Carl Frizzell. And I think that was on um, a website called Toka Boca. Mm. Oh, Toka Boca. What does childism mean? Yeah. So maybe childism is sort of like more um, positive in terms of like really wanting to honor children and see them as whole human beings. Whereas like adultism maybe is talking about um, the negative attitudes and aspects yeah yeah and I guess one of the things that keeps coming up and I know the alliance for self-directed education recently posted about it too is like it's such an it's such a unique form of oppression because it's probably the only form of oppression that everyone who is the oppressor was once also oppressed and so why do we perpetuate that cycle of oppression if we were the oppressed and now we are the oppressor. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an identity that all of us have experienced. Um, and so I feel like, you know, questioning our adultism really does require us to do some healing, some inner child healing, because we need to address ways that we were treated as children that were dishonoring um, but maybe we never questioned it. We just like, well, that's just the way it, things were. You know, that's just the way we're treated in school. That's just the way that parents or adults treat us. And we don't really question it. And now, especially as we're trying to practice um, self-directed learning and unschooling and honoring our, you know, honoring children's autonomy, it can be very triggering <laughs> when we see them practicing autonomy in ways that we were never allowed to do. And so it exposes a lot of 
the childism or adultism that um, is just pervasive in our society that goes unquestioned. And so I, yeah, I think it really invites us as adults to do a lot of healing, to um, really see like grieve ways that we were perhaps mistreated or ignored, silenced and all of those things. Mm. Yeah, I was just laughing about it, um, you know, because of the pandemic and I have younger kids, my kids are now um, six and eight and we hadn't been to the grocery store together in a really long time. We went into a grocery store recently that has kid-sized shopping carts. And so I kind of gave them the rundown before we went in, like here's kind of the etiquette of grocery shopping with a cart and they each got their own. So we were like this little like train of three shopping carts. <laughs> then I'm like, why do I have one? We already have too many ones. But anyways, um, they did really well with them. And I also started looking around the store and being like, why am I so worried about how my children are driving a shopping cart? Like that lady left hers in the middle of the produce section, like not pulled over to the side at all. And this person just like turns around suddenly, you know, like adults don't have good etiquette with shopping carts. And so like, but I also knew that because my kids are kids, they were more subject to other people's admonishing them for misuse of the shopping cart or things like that. And so that's what I mean when I say like you, it's hard to unsee because once you start seeing it, you're like, wait, there's an adult and a child in that exact same situation. And the child is being treated so differently. And like, there's something about kids. Like it's like so many adults feel that they all have the right to tell kids what to do, whether or not they even know that child or have a relationship with them. Um, so it was just really interesting seeing it in that way and being like, wait, and I, you know, then I, at the end, I had to say like, you guys did a great job with that. And like the um, person who was checking us out was like, yeah, you know, I think they probably did better than most adults. <laughs> uh, and I think in that context also like in public spaces, the, the unfair expectations that we often have of children to necessarily like behave like adults when they're children and like not to say that they should just be like running around screaming but you know crying or expressing their feelings or being children in public spaces um is something that a lot of adults are not used to or they they just want children to be quiet to be you know, to, to follow the rules, to, to be mini adults, pretty much. I remember being at, um, like a buffet restaurant, like this, just like a family restaurant and the older couple at the table next to us, they were just giving us really dirty looks for our children, just being children, I felt. And so, um, of course there are ways, like you said, where we, you know, give guidance and training about what's appropriate in different situations but I also think that um, a lot of in a lot of situations the adults need to adjust their expectations so that children really are allowed to be children yeah so what would you give as a um you know advice for someone who has maybe a family member who <laughs> Um, is very adultist with with their child 
I just had this conversation with um, Annie about addressing a family member of mine um, and the way that they are with, with my child and how I, I realize it's my responsibility to address that at this point. But um, it also, you know, I'm still in this space of like, like you said before, obviously doing my own inner child work right now and like not being scared to address it, right? Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any advice on that. Yeah, um, I was just talking about this with, with someone else today too, just like in situations like that feeling, you know, I feel like we probably feel triggered because we remember what it was like, you know, if it's a grandparent or somebody, an auntie or uncle making a comment to us as a child and feeling really disempowered, feeling like we didn't um, have any agency in that situation. And so I think it does take some time on our part to like um, reflect on that, like maybe not in the moment, but have, have create some space for us to recognize that, like in that moment when they're trying to exert some sort of control or, you know, adultist attitude on our children to recognize the ways that we ourselves are triggered so that we can um, just be aware of that and, and bring healing to that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also see ourselves as our child's advocate. Um, So um, it it can be hard because we might still be trapped in those patterns of like wanting to please our parents, wanting to like needing their affirmation and all of those things. And so I think that that comes back to like the healing that we have to do in order to break those cycles and um, like push back against some adultist attitudes, we need to do our own healing so that we can empower the next generation to like really have autonomy, bodily autonomy and know themselves, be able to say no, all of those things. So I would say in those situations, I'm not sure like what specific um, situation you're talking about, but to like really be sort of I'm not sure if mediator is the right word, but like a go-between between your, your parent and your child so that you don't, like the child doesn't necessarily feel like they need to be on their own defending themselves, but you stand in between and say like, oh, you know, they're not really ready or they don't feel comfortable right now doing that. And, um, and then also like inviting the child. Um, is there another way that you want to say, goodbye to grandpa, you know, do you want to give a high five? Do you want to blow a kiss? Um, Or are you just overtired and not ready for it? Like, so trying to um, bring some awareness and understanding to, to the older generation as well. Like, oh, like they missed their nap. They're really tired. They're grumpy right now. They're not ready to do that. Um, And also like inviting the child to see if there are other um, ways that feel good to them um, and there might not be so there might be times when it's just like sorry like or we another thing that we can do is also um, do things on behalf of our child like say thank you so much for the gift or um, you know we love you and and if you're open to giving a hug you give the hug you know and so that there's ways that we can bridge that gap in ways that still um, honor and advocate for our child. 
Makes a lot of sense. I know sometimes I use a trick from my birth doula bag um, of tricks, which is just like, do we need a minute to talk in private? Or like, could you give us a minute or just find a way, an opportunity to pull my child aside and check in with them. And sometimes I'll just say like, I see what's happening here. And I'm just, like, how does it feel to you? And I think even just sometimes them knowing that I see what's happening is validation um, to their experience. And like, like, I'm sorry that this person is treating you that way. And, you know, sometimes adults have limitations too. And um, just recognizing, like speaking it out loud to like name the injustice of it or you know whatever that piece of it is that's hard. Um, and it just feels like that alone like honors them as a human like okay you see what i'm going through here like you're recognizing this is happening and then yeah. like offering some solutions if they if they need an out like here's here's some ways that we could avoid having to deal with this mm -hmm. and sort of like what you did uh with your children before you went into the supermarket as well like sort of stating some expectations up front or some things that might like be part of the context that they're going into. So like if we're going to visit the grandparents, say, like I might prompt my children and say like, okay, when you greet them, it's really important in Chinese culture to um, say like or you know, like to say the, the title. Don't just say hi. You have to, it's, it's like important to say hi, or hi, you know, and just so like to prepare them um, and to give them some context and not like requiring them to do that. But like when, when you're more prepared and, and you understand why you're, why you're doing it, then I feel like um, that just sets everybody up for more success and more, more harmony in the relationship instead of like throwing them in and just expecting them to respond a certain way. So in some ways, like um, being proactive about it, like, um, doing some coaching and, and training beforehand might also help. Yeah. As corny as it is like role-playing too, like pretending you're whatever, whoever it is, the aunt that always kisses and like teach you, like we sometimes do that and like have my kids be like, practice what language they'll use, you know, and, and just saying the words out loud. And it doesn't always mean that then they feel comfortable using it, but I think they're just that much more prepared for that moment. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, the role playing. Um, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> you also touched on something earlier that I think is so important is like, whether or not we intend for it to happen, our children are so highly attuned to our emotions. And generally speaking, we put such a value on the happy emotions that our children do too. And so they really recognize early on how their actions can affect our emotions and figuring out how to separate like their responsibility for those emotions is really tricky, right? Like I was using the example the other day, even um, when my son was one and we would read books um, before bed and he knew I really was hoping to raise my kids bilingual. I speak Spanish and um, my son never wanted me to speak to him or read to him in Spanish. And if he knew I was like short on patience at bedtime, that's when he'd go pick up one of the 
books in Spanish and come crawl into my lap and be like, how about this one? And like, you know, I know there are adults out there who think that kids can manipulate them with their emotions, but they're not trying to manipulate. They just know, they recognize, like he recognized that that was something special to me that like would, would buy him another book pretty much guaranteed. Um, And I know like, it's just something really hard. I think a lot of adults and especially like, you know, you've referenced the older generation has a hard time recognizing the, the, um, the pressure they put on children to keep them happy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, um, so I feel like the work that we have to do as adults is, is just to recognize that and often to admit that to our children, you know, so that it, it, instead of just like stuffing it and feeling like, um, I shouldn't feel this way or, or whatever it is, is just like being really humble in our process with our children so that they know that we are human too. Um, and I think, you know, that, that requires discernment and, you know, age appropriateness and all of that stuff. We don't want to burden our children. Uh, but also like for in some ways it's a way to take responsibility, right? It's like, I know I'm really reacting to this thing that you're doing right now. And I acknowledge that it's really not about you, but I'm really triggered right now. Um, I'm going to take a moment and calm myself and um, yeah, just acknowledging that work that we have to do in that process. Um, And, and I think, I think that really that children really recognize that and will honor that process and make it safe for them to be honest about their feelings too, or when they get triggered. So, yeah. What other suggestions do you have for kind of doing that deeper work of reflecting on our own childhood wounds and um, experiences, they don't have to be wounding experiences, but just experiences that have kind of shaped our um, mental framework of how adults and children should interact. Like, you know, I was always like the respect your elders thing, but I think something that's come up for me as I've become a parent, like well, respect goes both ways and you can't expect it without modeling it. And so if you're not giving respect and Candace and I have both worked in school environments where we see adults who lack that basic respect for children that they work with, but then expect it. Um, and it's kind of like, how do you expect it without modeling it? So if you have any thoughts on like, I know, because I would say one thought would be to work with a coach like Iris who can help you <laughs> tease it all out from inside and all that, but um, give any quick like go-tos like that you would suggest for people who are just starting this work or I don't know, maybe it's not about just starting, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so, you know, personal and, and people have different processes. I know that's something that's been helpful for me is just to, um, really just allow all of it to be without judgment. Like instead of needing like to um, label like, oh, our parents are the bad guy or that wasn't my fault or I shouldn't feel this or whatever. It's just like, okay, whatever comes up. And, and I think this is like a big lesson for me because I grew up um, 
really suppressing a lot of emotions or a lot of thoughts because they thought I shouldn't have these thoughts. These are not good thoughts. And so I'm going to just stuff it and pretend that I don't feel them, but obviously that doesn't work. So I think just to allow it all to be, you know, our, our pain, our unpleasant emotions, and just take it all as um, messages, as signs for us. So like, we don't have to label it. We don't have to give a judgment about it. Like if I feel angry and upset about the way my parent treated me, I don't need to say like, well, I shouldn't feel that because they did so much for me. They sacrificed for me. I know they love me, you know, rationalizing it like that. Instead of that, I can just like hold it and recognize it and like allow for it, allow myself to, to process the emotions of that. Um, and, and I think that's just been so much more of a helpful way to, to do the healing work, just allowing it to be and allowing my feelings, whether they're like positive or negative or whatever we want to call it, just allowing it to be and, and letting, like letting it wash over me and um, making room for all of that. Um, because I, I think it, it's when we um, like hold on to these emotions or try to suppress them that they become, they, they end up like subconsciously, unconsciously controlling us. And so if we can bring it to our consciousness, if we can just allow it to be without judgment, then I think it's just much easier to work through it and um, not have to like think about it in binary ways of like, you know, either my parents were horrible or they loved me or like, it could be both. I mean, they they could have failed in some ways and they still love me. And we can sit in the tension of that. And just like we ourselves are not purely good or purely bad. We are complex people. Uh, We sometimes make bad choices and um, there is nuance. And so how can we hold hold that tension, you know, even with um, the way we, we perceive our childhood and, and the healing that we have to do. Any thoughts there? <laughs> <laughs> I see Candace processing. I, I'm just kind of connecting this to even um, working in the center and working with so many kids and just like holding everything right really slowing down and like holding the behavior and just allowing it um because coming from schools I think you know Annie and I both it's like not it's just not we're not allowed to take the time to do that for ourselves or for the children and so working here has been so interesting and amazing to be able to take as much time as we need to do that and, you know, even I think it's allowed Annie and I both to really heal a lot of our probably school wounds and just, um, you know, work through a lot of these past couple of years. So yeah. I think it's beautiful when, you know, children can be in a space where where that is honored and there is the time and the energy and the investment and the intentionality to to make space for that, because like in a lot of systems institutions it's really about like quick fixes and behaviors and controls and like classroom management it's and 
Um, I think the thing about unschooling and self-directed learning is it's like a practice. It's like a day in and day out. It's a relational thing that we're doing. And so there's not going to be quick fixes. There's going to be like, you need to build relationship. You need to build trust. There needs to be safety. Um, And so, yeah, like it's not about that one incident. And, And even as, even as a parent, that's something like when my child did one like they refuse to go to sleep one time. And then I just like spiral and think they're never going to go to sleep on their own. And I need to knit this in. And like, if they, if I sleep with them this time, then they're always going to want me. Like it's like, it becomes a very controlling fear-based type of thing where I need to um, control this particular behavior in this one moment, because like everything will fall apart if I don't deal with it now. And it's really not like that like there's a lot more trust there's more of like a long game perspective in um, self-directed learning where it's like okay it's not just about what's happening in the moment but how can we create an environment where you know they feel safety they feel a sense of belonging we can work through these emotions or these particular behaviors together with trust and with respect instead of like, go to the principal's office. (laughs) Yeah. Or the daily reports. I think like, I'm just even through this conversation realizing like, I've always been really bothered by like daily reports, both as a teacher and a parent, like, right. Like, Oh, it was a bad day today. Or, you know, it ended up okay, but we had a few incidents. Like we give a report on each day. Like it's the end of, the life like every day should be in like I mean it's all part of like the long game like you said so what does it matter what happened today let's look at the long game let's take a broader scope view and think of our kids as humans and yeah I don't know even as I talk I I, um for a while when we first got into this so that was like oh even the term kid is such an adultist uh view because it's a baby goat and like I can't even use like I just could only use young people I couldn't even use I'm like okay I need to ease up on myself I put a lot of pressure on myself to like eradicate all forms of adultism from within me um, but it is such a process and it's constant like really constant not just consistent but you're it's something we're always doing in every interaction not just with children and young people, but also with the other adults in spaces. Like how, how do we see these people that are, are fully human and they're not empty vessels we need to fill. They're not, um, you know, something that's not worthy of being human. Like they are human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, resisting adultism is, is similar to anti-racist work Whereas like racism is the default. And I think we need to accept that. We need to acknowledge that, that all of us experience and and, um, perpetuate racism in some form because we live in a racist world. (laughs) And so instead of trying to deny like, no, I'm not racist. I'm not that. I don't do that. I don't think this us. It's just like, yes, we all do. We are all adultist because that is the world that we're living in. And instead of trying to like, you know, deflect and be defensive, it's like, what am I doing to actively resist that, to become more aware, to be willing to be called out and to shift my behavior and um, yeah, like, so 
like the way I approach this is like, I am totally adultist. I admit that. And, and yet I want to call it out too. I want to call it out in myself. I want to call it out in what I see in the world. And we shouldn't be intimidated by that. Um, I think what we need to do as adults is again, more of that healing work, more of that, like, I, um, just the the know the 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 growing confidence and, and of our of our worthiness of our you know uh, our identity and who we are that we are loved regardless of you know when we make mistakes or when we fail or when we don't do things perfectly it's okay like calming our bodies and our nervous systems down so that we can actually repair and do the work of adjusting our our, our interactions with children instead of like needing to like protect our ego, you know? So like, again, he doing a lot of that healing work so that we can do the work of resisting adultism or childism. Mm. Wow. There you go, everybody. <laughs> Iris Chen. <laughs> Um, Iris, thank you so much for joining us with this very brief conversation on a topic that we could probably go on about for days. Um, do you have any speaking engagements or any um, public forums that we should be aware of? This will probably come out in a couple of weeks from now. Yeah, I mean, I have like different workshops that are available on um, my website. I do encourage people to join our group coaching that Annie is a part of. I mean, because like you said, I really believe that this is a practice. It's something that we need community to do. It's something that we, it's like an ongoing growth, <laughs> ongoing community and support that we need. It's not like a one-time thing that we can check off our list. And so um, if people can find community, um, in whatever way they can, I really encourage that. Um, and so, yeah, I invite people to join um, our anti-green circle group if that's something that they're looking for. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Iris. This was a really great conversation. Yeah, thank Happy you so much again. for having me. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.